I'm Stefan Siddig, and welcome to American Theater Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theater. If you've been enjoying the American Theater Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theater that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. Today is Eric Jordan Young, an accomplished producer, director, choreographer, entertainer, playwright, and songwriter who has appeared on Broadway in Ragtime in the original 1998 production and in the 2009 revival, Chicago, Susical, and The Look of Love, as well as regionally at New York Shakespeare Festival, Lincoln Center, the Kennedy Center, the Alliance Theater, and in the national tours of Chicago, Ragtime, and Dreamgirls. He has also appeared in various productions in Las Vegas, as well as in TV and commercials. Eric has performed with several symphonies throughout the country. His solo album, Once in a Lifetime, was produced by his company Enjoy Productions, and his one-man musical, Sammy and Me, is the winner of the Art Voice and Salt Awards. Eric served as the resident director of Baz at the Venetian Palazzo in Las Vegas and loves working as a creative director for original projects, including Renegades at Caesars Palace and Drag's Supper Club. He is currently the associate director for the Norwegian Cruise Line production of Footloose and the recent production of Rock of Ages in Hollywood, California. Hi, Eric. Hello. How are you? I'm well. I'm doing okay. I mean, you know, I, I guess maybe I am used to saying I'm well, but um, I really am today. I'm, 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 I'm doing pretty good despite a lot of the obstacles that I've had lately, um, some physical obstacles. But other than that, I am well. Well, thank you so much for being on American Theatre Artists Online. We're really happy to have you on our podcast. You know, um, you are an accomplished producer, director, choreographer, entertainer, playwright, songwriter. I loved reading um, everything that you've been working on because you are what I call those multi-hyphenates, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. That's, it's so funny. The first time that I was called that, I actually thought, what do they mean? And then I, I kind of figured it out and went, oh, well, yeah, I guess that is the way that uh, I should be described because usually when people write about me, they do use me as a, or put me in a multi-hyphenate kind of um expression so so it's very cool yes i've done a lot of different things well it's a good place to be i think i like to think of you as a renaissance man you've done all these different things and you've been doing them for a while so you're quite um expert at a lot of them i think so um have you always balanced all of these different things or, or how did these various different interests develop for you well it's kind of funny because um uh as i discover uh in many different moments in my life i'm like oh well 
you know, if somebody asks me to do a specific project, sometimes I'll contemplate and talk to some friends and family and say, I don't know if I should do that. I've never really done that. And they're like, you've been doing that your whole life. What are you talking about? Mm. So um, I guess I have been producing. I guess I have been directing and doing choreography and and um, entertaining for, for many, many years without even really giving myself the credit of, of you know, doing those things. Um, now, if it was to to be on a, on a professional level, um, yeah, I would say for the past, you know, 20 to something years, I've been doing a multitude of different things. So, so the multi-hyphenate thing does, um, apply <laughs> just, just for the last 20 years, you know, not that long. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Yeah, something like that. yeah. Well, it's wonderful. It goes by fast, doesn't it? But so I think most of the people listening into the podcast probably will know you or recognize you or may have seen you in one of uh, the many Broadway shows that you were in and have been in from um, Ragtime, which you did two times. You did the original production and the revival, which we've got to talk about because that's, you've got to be one of the few people who's done that. Uh, and Susical, Look of Love. I mean, these are all very different shows. So you seem to have really run the gamut uh, on Broadway. You've done a lot of different shows there. So what did you learn in your time performing on Broadway? incredible dream to just be in New York, let alone work in the entertainment industry, let alone be on Broadway. So um, the time that I did have um, doing Broadway shows and, and any any kind of professional theater in New York was um, amazing. I mean, I, I ate it up. I drank it up. I um, sopped it up with a biscuit, whatever you want to call it. I, <laughs> yeah. I just really, really enjoyed the opportunity to, um, to share and collaborate and to showcase, um, on the, in, in the New York scene. And I, I absolutely loved, um, working, um, with, uh, all of the people that I worked with. That's the thing about, um, doing a, a Broadway show is that, you know, it takes so much time for a show to actually get there. And if you're, um, a piece of the, of the puzzle, and uh, of the, you know, the creation of it, it's absolutely exhilarating. And then even if you're not a piece of the, the creative process, um, you are still in some way, shape or form uh, a, a major and integral part of the process. So my experiences in New York, especially on Broadway, were um, all amazing well absolutely well then let's talk specifically about one really unique thing on your resume which i found fascinating and i already mentioned it but you were in the original 1998 production of ragtime when it first came on broadway and then you were in the 2009 revival that was the marcia milgram dodge directed product version right so you were in both are you must be one of just a handful i talked to beth level several um, seasons ago, and she was in Forty Second Street in the you know as part of the last cast I think of the original production of Forty Second Street, and then she was Dorothy Brock later on you know uh, fifteen years later. How so? Ten years, almost you know eleven years between those two productions. How was that experience doing the same show twice? Well, it was it was amazing, and actually, I was the only person who was in the revival cast that had a relationship with the original cast. Um, Wonderful. I did. I didn't do the uh, the original Broadway cast. I did the first national tour, mm -hmm. um, and I was uh, Graziella Danielle's dance captain in that tour. Oh. Um, that was, uh, went out in 98. Mm -hmm. And then when I returned to New York after that year, um, uh, after being on the road for that year, I was uh, doing another project with Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty, and um, Lynn kind of uh, <laughs> approached me and said uh, that they had an opening in um, the original, you know, in, in the Broadway company mm -hmm. um, at the Ford's Theater back then. So I jumped into the Broadway company and I did that for um, mm -hmm. in, in many months and then, uh, and then um, just had the opportunity to jump back in 10 years later and do, and do the revival, which was... Um, when that happened, I thought it was actually, I got the phone call for the audition and I thought it was just kind of like a courtesy mm -hmm. um, call just to say, oh, you know, we're, we're making sure that we 
um, you know, look at or give people the opportunity to audition that were in the original production, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the case. Uh, they had me come in um, to play, uh, to sing for Booker T. Washington, and then I ended up uh, booking that role for the revival. So the experiences or of, of each uh, production were incredibly different. Mm-hmm. Um, working with uh, Frank Galati and Graziella Danielle and and um, that original Garth Drabinsky team was... Uh, most definitely a golden um, opportunity and an incredible experience. But then also working with Marsha and Lynn and Steven and um, a bunch of other different uh, collab creatives who um, collaborated to create the revival. It was, it was a, a, a different experience because it started at the Kennedy center and then um, ended up moving uh, to without intention, honestly, at the Kennedy Center. I don't think they really thought that it would move to Broadway so quickly. Yeah. But when it did, um, the experience was was un- unbelievable. Um, to have uh, you know a, a a show at that level mm-hmm. um, performed on that level in two different um, visions mm-hmm. uh, was was a, a unique thing. And I I, I must say it was. Um, it definitely ragtime is so difficult. It's such a hard show to do, yes. um, to perform in, and to just to execute in in general. Um, actually, after I did the first, uh, I did the first national, and then the Broadway. When I after you know the Broadway company, um, I I kind of said to myself, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this show again. Um, I might just kind of walk away from an opportunity if it happens again but then when I got the opportunity to do Booker T. Washington it was undeniable. I was going to say such a different experience because so in the original production were you part of the ensemble or or, and then you got to play Booker the second time around was it like that? Yes. I mean that's so cool right? That you It it was Yeah. Yes I'm sorry I don't mean to interrupt but yes it was absolutely (laughs) incredible because I was in you know a dressing room room or, or standing backstage with Tommy Hollis, mm. who originated Booker T. Washington on, on Broadway. And, um, you know, I was already a fan of his from all of the August Wilson plays mm. that he um, had done over the years. And so I felt like I was working with a master and or which I was working with a master. Mm. And so to have the opportunity to jump into Booker T. Washington for the revival, it wasn't just... Um, uh, the opportunity itself, but it was also stepping into the shoes of someone that I had major respect for who originated that role. Well, I'm trying to do the math in my head, but I saw the first national tour of the original Ragtime at the National Theater, I think it was, in yes. 98, 99. So I think I saw you in that. I'm, I'm sure you did. <laughs> and <laughs> then, before, yes. before I even knew you, I saw you in that. And then... I didn't see the revival on Broadway of 2009, but I did see it here at Fort's, um, I believe. Was it at Fort's Theater or was that another production? That may have been another production. That was a different production. Different production. And it was okay. a very well done production from what I heard. I very heard that different. people absolutely loved it. Yeah. yeah, and it was very different. Because the, the, but it was a different production. Your revival, the 2009 revival, was uh, through the Kennedy Center. It went through the Kennedy Center. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I didn't get to see that one, so I was just trying to figure out if I had seen you in both, but I had not, unfortunately, for my, you know, bad, sadly for me. But so I mean, it's really amazing that you get to work with someone like Graciela Danielle as a choreographer, who is one of my favorites, and um, Frank Galati, and then you get to work with with Marsha Milgram Dodge. Um, I mean, what was the? What did you feel were the main takeaways from both in terms of working with them? So you had different experiences. What what did you take away if you could I know you took away a lot of different things, but if there's like one thing you could you could tell us about what you took away from each of those. Well, I think my first experience was um unique in that I was kind of taken under the wing of Graziella Danielle as a dance captain. You know, she um gave me the opportunity as a young person who was um you know, just kind of starting out in terms of of being a dance captain is is a very big job, especially for a cast size like Ragtime. It's right. it's just a lot of work, yeah. and um, to be given that responsibility and uh, 
to actually jump in and make that commitment to the material and to the, the cast and the team. It was very, very special to me, and I felt um, that it lifted me as uh, a potential director and a potential choreographer and a person who understood the construct of musical theater. So that was one of the biggest things that I was able to walk away um, with from that uh, initial experience. It also gave me the opportunity to um, to kind of understand how uh, different director choreographers work and Graziella is I mean uh, they're honoring her uh, very soon on the ponies and she is just amazing so Um, I was able to to kind of look at her style mm. and and figure out how she creates choreography from story mm-hmm. and where where the, the the nucleus of her direction comes from. So that was the biggest thing I was able to take away from that production, mm. um, and it gave me a lot of confidence as as a, a person who is a creative. Now, when it comes to the revival and working with Marsha Milgram Dodge, I mean, it was um, walking in with that history from uh, Graziella Danielle and the construct of ragtime as a piece, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, knowing every move, knowing why it was there, knowing what certain things meant in the the script and in the specific choreography and why certain transitions were built the way that they were. Mm -hmm. I was able to bring that to the table when we were in rehearsal at the Kennedy Center and maybe have a couple of share a couple of side eye moments with um, Marsha <laughs> that um, that indicated to her that um, you know I was on her side in terms of her um, pursuit of creating you know a really really strong production of Ragtime, which she did. Um, I was a- also able to walk away with uh, you know the the experience of just playing a role and being um, a part of the cast as opposed to having to. Um, really be concerned with because um, when you're a dance captain you're in you're in the show and you're performing the show mm-hmm. but you're also kind of um, maintaining it <laughs> um, in your brain as sure. well so sure. um, I didn't have to deal with that in the revival I was able to just play um, different characters as well as Booker T. Washington and that experience was was unlike anything else because the character is so um uh, pivotal to the the storyline and the strength that that character um, hmm. uh, you know in, in represents in ragtime was something that I was really really thrilled to be able to share every night in New York. Yeah, it's a it's a much you know with 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 Washington you have to really do some more research and dig deep into the character that you're playing because you are playing a historic figure who you know a lot of people know and so that that was a whole ed, added bon, um, extra work added bonus and work for you. So I'm, as I'm hearing you talk about your experiences with Graciela Danielle and with Marsha Milgram Dodge, I'm struck by the fact that here you are and you have worked with two of perhaps the most brilliant um, directors now, you know, director and choreographers, both. They both, these are two incredibly talented women who do both things, right? Uh, and um, I mean, Graciela I know about because she was a Fosse dancer, of course, and a Michael Bennett dancer, both, right? Uh, and, uh, which is a pretty amazing pedigree. And she's from my mother's part of the world. My mom's from Montevideo, Uruguay, and Graciela is from across the river in Buenos Aires. Uh, so oh, wow. that's pretty cool, yeah. And so my mother knows about her and, and, and all the. She's quite well known at the Teatro Colón in where she studied in in Argentina as well. So I mean, it is you worked with really one of, as you know, as you've said, the the best. And then you go and you work with Marcia Milgram Dodge, who is her own thing, right? She's her own different, uh, brilliant genius in her own way as a director, choreographer, and her experience. So wow, you've got all that now under your wing, right? And this was. Uh, 10 years ago that you did, you know, completed all that work. So that must have been the ragtime experience. Sounds like it was pretty, pretty amazing. It was beyond amazing. <laughs> and, and more so because I was, uh, I did the first national company of Chicago and mm-hmm. that company opened before the Tony was awarded to um, the Broadway company. So yeah. we went out um, quite early and, when we were in Washington, D.C. at the National Theater in 1997, um, the uh, production of Ragtime was uh, doing its kind of tryout, I guess, in um, or being built and executed in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was obsessed with the creation of that, so I kept, like, 
looking in in different magazines to see how they were creating it because I I always was enthralled by the movie and the performances in the movie Debbie Allen and and mm. and all of the other people who did the movie I was like how are they going to make this happen it's so complex yeah. and the album came out there was a, a, a selections from Ragtime CD released yeah. and I remember purchasing it and hearing it and actually having an emotional cathartic moment listening to Audra McDonald and Brian Stokes Mitchell singing wheels of a dream mm. on my, you know, in, in the apartment that I was staying in, in, in DC. And I made a pact with myself that I would do everything that I could mm. to um, get that production. So I started studying with vocal teachers um, in each city that we went to uh, on the tour for Chicago. Mm. And, um, I remember, uh, getting a call back for, um, uh, ragtime. And I, I flew to New York for a couple of days and actually ended up, you know, getting, getting the show. So it, it, it has a huge history with, um, it had, it, it had already had a huge history with me in terms of my pursuit of wanting to do the project. And, um, and I was able to carry that all the way through um, both shows. Uh, and and that, that's why I say it's, it's very difficult for me to, um, you know, to think about Ragtime and not do it, which I have <laughs> since then, I've directed it um, ah. as well. I was going to ask you, I'm sure your relationship with the show has continued. But, you know, um, we've been talking a lot about Ragtime, and I do want to talk about all the other stuff that you've done. I don't mean to harp on Ragtime so long, but it's such a pivotal, um, I think, moment in your career and also such a seminal moment because it comes, it's come back so much for you. But I do have a little tidbit about Ragtime that I wanted to share with you because I think it's unique, and I don't know if anyone listening has ever heard this, and it just occurred to me while you were talking – Back in 1996, I think it was, or it may have been early 97, I was living in Richmond, Virginia, and at the time going to grad school, and um, I was staying at a friend's home who, who often housed theater people, and one of the people that she used to house was a gentleman named Michael Cole, who used to be, who is still Stephen Schwartz's uh, personal assistant, and he had brought to the home, coming back, visiting back in Richmond after being in New York for a while, a, a tape back then, a cassette tape of auditions that um, the producers of Ragtime had asked several composers to do an audition by creating the opening number, their own version of the opening number. And I sat there and listened to the three different versions. One was by Stephen Schwartz, and that's why Michael had the tape. And then there was the, the, the Aaron's and Flaherty version um, I remember hearing that and saying, that's the one they're going to pick because it was so fantastic. And that's the opening number on Ragtime that everyone now talks about. But I wish I had kept a copy of the Stephen Schwartz version because it was so different, you know? Isn't that cool yeah. that they make them do that? So you were a part of history with Ragtime uh, in the making um, at the beginning and then um, later in the revival. And that's that's a pretty amazing uh, thing to be able to say. And now you're out there and you're. I assume it's something you carry with you Always, and as you said, as you start to direct and do other productions, um, you will, I'm sure, be faced with ragtime several more times in your artistic career, I think. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that's so great about that moment is that, you know, th those first two shows um, that I did national tours with, um, Chicago and Ragtime, they definitely were the seeds of, of my, you know, professional relationships that were to come. And Working with Graziella, I worked with her several times after that, um, and as a da dance captain and um, and, a, and a performer in different shows. And I became a Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty. I say a Stephen Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty baby. I even have even told them I'm like I'm one of your babies, and they're like, yes, you are, because <laughs> I ended up doing a bunch of shows with them. Sure. And uh, you know, it's just like those that that moment in my life was really. Um, pivotal, and it was kind of like a, a, a jump-off um, spot for for the future um, in my career. So things it, that I could have never imagined. Yeah, so it was the the seed that was germinating for all the things that you were going to do later, right? So you got sort of you're cutting your teeth. I think when you work as a dance captain, it does give you a director's eye. It gives you sort of the you start thinking. Were you are did you always want to be a director, or did you approach a theater? Uh, when you first started as a performer and then the this is what you're explaining that the directing sort of happened over time how did that work out how did you transition or did you not transition did you just always do everything 
No, I think I, I don't. I never really called myself a director or thought of myself as one. I just felt that I was helping to create story and to maintain story and to maintain choreography and staging and so on and so forth. I never thought of it as I am that I have the eye or the talent mm. to um, direct or choreograph. I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. But what I was doing was that. And the people who recognize that in me mm -hmm. are the ones who made me go, oh, and that's the Graziella Daniels. That's the, mm -hmm. the, um, the Annie Rankings. Those mm -hmm. people literally looked me in my face and said, you need to direct, you need to mm -hmm. choreograph. And that's when I started to go, oh, I should probably pay attention to this. Wow, that's amazing. And so now, I mean, I just want to kind of frame where you are now. You are living in Las Vegas, right? You're not on the East Coast because I've talked to so many people on the East Coast, which is wonderful, but I really love to talk to people other in other parts of the country. You've decided to, to, to you know, put your stakes down for now in Las Vegas. Why Vegas and what about Vegas did you, I mean, did this develop over time that you got your, did you stop, did you, did you make a conscious decision that you were going to do less on stage and more off stage on the other side of the creative table? Was it conscious or did it just sort of develop? It just sort of developed, honestly. The way that I um, established a relationship with Las Vegas is that, uh, believe it or not, my first audition in New York City was um, for a non-union production of Dreamgirls, and I ended up booking that show. Mm. So I, I did that tour as Curtis Taylor Jr. I was very, very young, mm. and we actually um, opened uh, one of our performances, um, first performances in the very first couple of weeks of, of tour uh we played the aladdin um hotel here in las vegas for a, a week i believe mm -hmm. and that doesn't even exist anymore it's now yeah. planet hollywood hotel and casino right and um and so to come here in 1990 meaning come here to las vegas in 90 what was that 96 mm -hmm. i believe or no it must have been like 94 or something like that yeah. it was pretty eye-opening to see how much entertainment there was and see how, how many uh you know people were um offering uh shows and just different types of entertainment um and then i went back to new york after that tour was over and i ended up booking um, Starlight Express uh, here at the Las Vegas Hilton and I ended up getting my equity card from that and did that for two and a half years. I remember then you I telling me that you had been in Starlight Express and I always thought that was fascinating because I saw it in London in 1990, yeah. a long time ago. And what a great, it gets such a bad rap, that show, and it is such, because the, the, the US version was changed so much, right? And there was something about the theater changing. But that's a fantastic show, really. People don't give it enough credit, I think. <laughs> agreed, agreed. And I think the music is really fun. And mm -hmm. I don't think it was supposed to be this like deep musical. No, and I think it was right. meant to be fun. And, yeah. and for some reason, it was, it was received as if it was like not legitimate, <laughs> which is so sad because right, yeah. It really is a good time. And yeah. and it, the production out here, I did it for about two and a half years. And then I went back to New York and, mm -hmm. and did a lot of, that's when I, you know, booked the, the rack Chicago and then did mm -hmm. rack time and so on and so forth. But then I came back out here um, in, uh, at the, you know, in 99 into 2000. And I did a production of Chicago out here and closed that. That was at the Mandalay Bay. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I just kept getting this pull back. Uh, from Las Vegas it was like Las Vegas kept calling me kept calling and, and in 2010 I had an opportunity to come out here and originate a role in a Las Vegas style production show and um, you know for, for many reasons I have uh, been um, a fan of Sammy Davis Jr.'s work and uh, a lot of other entertainers who have had Vegas roots Absolutely. and and so I thought, you know what, let me just experience what that might be like. And so I came out here and then I just haven't left. So it's been over 11 years now. <laughs> I, think it's, I, well, I think that's wonderful. I, I love Las Vegas. I've been there myself. And, and, and I just find, like you said, there is so much more performing and theater and um, entertainment going on that people f remember. They always focus on the, the gambling and the, the strip, but they forget how much how many performance opportunities, legitimate performance opportunities there are in so many shows there. And so you also did your um, your one-man musical, Sammy and Me, since you mentioned Sammy Davis Jr., I gotta throw that in there. Uh, and you won an Art Voice and Salt Awards um, for that. So what, 
Was this a one-person show that you have, or sorry, you call it a one-man musical, so I want to hear about that. Uh, what was that? Did you develop that while living in Vegas? Well, I, I did not, actually. It was one of the reasons that I thought, let me kind of live out my Sammy Davis Jr. dreams and go to <laughs> Vegas. I, I, I created uh, Sammy and Me with... Um, uh, a director friend of mine, her name is Wendy Dan. We actually went to college together. I went to Ithaca College. Oh. And um, we, I, I, it was, it's, there was a point where um, I, my dad heard some uh, some radio ad and somebody was saying that they were looking for the next Sammy Davis Jr. And I ended up um, uh, doing an audition for uh, a, a national search for the next Sammy Davis Jr. And mm. I got the show mm. and it was in Chicago um, the city of Chicago, and I, I, um, I ended up like learning all of this Sammy Davis Jr. material and learning his mannerisms and executing things on stage. And it was it was produced by the Sammy Davis Jr. Estate, and mm. and his um, wife Elvis Davis was one of the the lead producers on it. Mm. And um, the show didn't happen, uh, unfortunately. But I was sitting in New York with all of this knowledge and all of this. Um, you know, material that I had just learned and all of the this research that I had just done. So I put that into a, a play, a musical, and um, we created a story that is based on my life and it's uh, kind of like this dual biography of Sammy Davis Jr.'s life and my life. Mm. And um, it has, uh, you know, some of the American Songbook songs in it and um, things by Leslie Brickus and Anthony Newley, mm -hmm. things that Sammy Davis Jr. made famous. And, Who can and I, I turn to when nobody Exactly, right, exactly. That's the one I remember. And, yeah. and I did like 33 characters, mm -hmm. and um, we wanted to do something a little bit different mm -hmm. in that uh, we didn't want the musical to just be in monologue form. Mm -hmm. So I actually played characters that spoke to each other. So I would just... Oh, nice with the turn of a shoulder or a physical gesture become a different character wow. and um and speak to <laughs> speak to uh, different empty spaces in the room i guess mm -hmm. but uh it was it was a unique time and it was a unique show and um it was very very difficult but back then i had the energy and i was able to to um execute at that level and it was cool it was a two-act musical that almost went to broadway but unfortunately the um the recession happened in 2008 right. and right. uh it kind of um it stunted our growth but, but then we did a, a production at the alliance in uh 2010 in Atlanta. and that was quite a success yeah i can imagine i mean I, I as you were talking about the show i'm thinking to myself come on eric do it again and do it in <laughs> do it in new york because now is the time I mean, I'm always baffled how there isn't more about the wonderful Sammy Davis Jr. It's sort of like him and Eartha Kitt are the two that I'm always like, why? And they were friends. Why aren't they um, doing shows? You know, they're doing a show about Tina Turner. There's a show about Cher. There's a show about Donna Summer. Why isn't there a show about Sammy uh, or about Eartha? You know, amazing, amazing performers that some people may have not, you know, Sammy, everyone I think remembers more than Eartha probably, but I'm, it's amazing the amount of ability and talent and also what they were as people, this amazing trailblazers, right? Um, so, wow. And so you mentioned briefly in your whole description of, of, of Sammy and me, which sounds fascinating. And if you do do it again, let us know because we want to go see it. Um, you mentioned you threw in there Ithaca College. So I was going to ask you a bit because Ithaca's, you know, Vegas is pretty far uh, from Ithaca. How, let's take a step back then. Now's the time, I think, to ask you, you know, how did you get your start in theater? Was this something that you always wanted to do? What are your roots? Are they more over on the East Coast? And if so, how did you, how did you develop? What, did you start as a performer? Uh, you know, it, it, over the years, I always, it's funny, I constantly try to think like what was the actual moment that I knew um I grew up in Buffalo New York um I was born in Buffalo um then I, my family moved away for a little while and then we returned in my middle school years and um I was always singing and dancing uh my mom makes a joke you know that I came out dancing that I was just had a lot of energy and that um it was uh not a surprise. It's not a surprise to them that I'm in, in the entertainment industry, but it was definitely a surprise to them that it was something that I wanted to do professionally back then. Sure. Um, I made the decision in seventh grade. I did a production of Peter Pan, mm. and I became obsessed with the Mary Martin album, and I really just wanted to 
to do something that I felt was uh, to play a role and sing those songs. And and uh, when they when I got the part, it was one of those things where I just um, I fell into the creative uh, side of it, learning the staging, learning the choreography, collaborating with actors, um, uh, you know, just putting all of the pieces together is the thing that kind of made me uh, want to to say out loud, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Hmm. Um, and around that time, I, you know, my parents were like, okay, well, let's see how we can help you. And so I started auditioning for movies and, and, and different plays and, um, uh, you know, reach local theater and community theater and regional theater. And, and I just kind of started uh, doing an outreach for things. And I actually did a PSA for, um, uh, PBS about, uh, cleaning fruit before you eat it. And that was how I made my first real paycheck at about 12 years old. And that's when I knew I was like, this is what I want to do. Wow. So as a kid, you were doing, you really had it in you. And that was something that, that your parents clearly identified early on. And then when you started making money doing it, did they, did they go, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I think that they just thought, you know, it, maybe he'll grow out of it. Maybe this is something that he's uh, just feeling right now or, or, or whatever, but it definitely wasn't that it was, um, it, it, I, I took it very, very seriously, probably at a, at, at too young of an age, <laughs> uh, to tell you the truth, because by the time I got to college, my, my dad was like, all right, so you need to have something to fall back on. And I was looking at him like, are you crazy? Fall back on? I'm not going to fail. There's not going to be anything that you need to worry about in terms of me doing what I want to do, because just like a doctor says they want to be a doctor or a lawyer says they want to be a lawyer, I'm going to be in the entertainment industry. So let go of your false hope that it's not going to happen because it will. Well, yeah, that's so funny. It's that's great. I, mean, I love that determination at a young age. I mean, I think that you know it's so difficult in the entertainment industry because when you're in that industry for some reason, you know, just the years of, you know, it's such a competitive industry that I think people think, you know, parents think, oh, I don't know if they're going to make it. They're worried about you, you know, your financial future. And but you know, it, being a doctor is competitive too. Being a lawyer is competitive. Everything's competitive. So I think it's great that you presented it that way to them. That this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. That's great. And clearly you have done it. Um, you know, I, I think that it's really interesting. So then you're at Ithaca College. And so from Ithaca, did you do straight when you finished Ithaca? Were you like, I'm going right to New York? Or did you find a different home base? Did you do some regional theater first? What did you what, how did you did you plan it or did it just sort of happen? Well, when I was at Ithaca, I did theme park during the mm-hmm. summer, yeah. and um, I worked at uh, Darien Lake Fun Country <laughs> in oh, upstate wow. New York for two summers, wow. and then I worked at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg for a summer, mm-hmm. and um, after my senior year, I worked at um, uh, the Merry-Go-Round Playhouse, which is now the Rev Theater run by Brett Smock up in um, uh, Auburn, New York, mm-hmm. and then um, and I did a production of Big River, mm-hmm. um, and and so it kind of like uh, rolled into me doing, you know, a lot of different um, kind of professional things. And and um, I don't know, I just uh, felt that um, Ithaca gave me um, the exactly what I was looking for. They gave me the confidence to feel like I could succeed in the industry. And, um, and then I moved right to New York after uh, that summer. And that's when Dreamgirls happened. I'm yeah. telling you, it was so crazy because it was the day uh, after I moved to New York. My dad drove me there. Mm-hmm. Um, we stayed with a friend. Um, the next morning, I woke up, went to my audition, and uh, he left, went back to Buffalo, and I called him on the phone because that's what it was back then yeah. um, from, the, from the kitchen in my friend's um, apartment and uh, said I got the job. So, um, wow. so that's how it all started for me. Wow, fantastic. So full circle. I mean, I think it's great that, that you were able to, um, at an early age, kind of figure out that's what you wanted to do and just go for it. And it's interesting, as you talked just now about what fascinated you about theater and Peter Pan, and um, you were talking about how you were fascinated about how things got put together, how everything came together on stage. You didn't talk 
as an actor, you talked as a director, you talked as someone, a producer. I thought that was fascinating to listen to you talk about that because, you know, a lot of kids, when they first encounter theater, that's how we, you know, we come to the stage uh, as, as, you know, the applause and being on stage and performing and people say we're good and we feel good. But what you described was the bigger picture. And I thought that was great. And that was, you didn't maybe even know back then, but that was really what you were going to end up doing. So let's talk a bit, you know, you've now been in this business for a while. You've been, as you said, making a living, um, you know, for 20 to 30 years. I don't know how long it's been um, as a professional in in the entertainment business and theater. I'm sure that you've experienced some things that um, those of us who are not, you know, black, I, I, you know, as a white man, I may probably have not experienced some of the things that you've experienced as, as a black man in theater, specifically either seen or had um, a roadblock put in front of you or experienced something. I mean, how, how do you, how, what, what were some of the things that you encountered and do you feel, just to be a little more on the positive side here, have you found that the industry has changed at all in the last 20, 30 years. So what, what has been your experience? And it's a big topic, so I know you can't talk about to it all, but what, what are your thoughts on, on your experiences with that? Well, uh, um, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I've lived with it for so long that um, it almost feels like it's just uh, part of how I walked into the industry. I, I always even, you know, sometimes when I'm teaching, um, I try to make sure that I tell my black students that they are um, entering an industry that is, um, you know, predominantly white and that it is created um, by uh, white people. And so you have to have an understanding of what industry you're walking into. And, And with that understanding comes the understanding that you cannot be, um, uh, overly sensitive in my opinion to, um, uh, you know, the, the way that casting goes, the way that you may be, uh, that your energy may be received, um, the way that your ideas may be, um, either, uh, acknowledged or denied. Um, so it, it, it's, it's kind of like the landscape is one that you have to walk into knowing what shoes you're going to step into. So that's just one thing. And that's just my experience. I feel that when I went to New York and when I became a professional, um, it was a different time. I went to New York to be, and this is as truthful as I can, can get to be the only black guy in the cast, because that was the way that you got into a Broadway musical at the time. Mm, Talk Um, more about that. That's interesting. So there was really only like a slot, right? In the ensemble for someone. Yeah. And I don't think it was anything that was ever defined, but um, for for the most part, if you were to go see, you know, most musicals on Broadway, there would be one black male and one, um, black female or person of color that yep. that might um, you know yep. kind of fill that that quota so to speak mm-hmm. and so when I moved to New York I was like I want to be the Jerry McIntyre I want to be the Michael McElroy I want to be the guys who um, you know are in these shows but happen to be the burnt rice crispy in the box so to speak <laughs> yeah and um and that's kind of what my um I was just I was in that that mode of thinking that that was all that there was for me. Mm. But in, in the years that I was there, you know, shows like Lion King came along, Ragtime came along. Yeah. I'm having the opportunity to do shows like Dream Girls were there. Mm-hmm. And um, there are shows that have more um, people of color in mm-hmm. them. So it, it, it made it like the, the landscape was changing. Yeah. Now, in terms of, of me being a, 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 a black man in the industry and making my own choices, my first Broadway show offer was Showboat, and I actually turned it down. Ah, interesting. And oh. you would never, ever think that, and it's something that I forget about, and I don't think I've ever said out loud publicly, except to friends and family, but I'm saying it to you. Um, wow. There was, there was something for me at that time that I didn't feel comfortable um, doing Showboat because I felt like it was an easy in. Ithaca prepared me to be a very good vocalist. They prepared me to understand story. They prepared me to understand how to audition well. And 
be able to execute and let people know or have the confidence in my level of professionalism. So why wouldn't I be able to um, book a show that had a lot of um, black people in it, um, you know, that sang with a legitimate style and were able to execute dance and um, and, and exude professionalism, you know? And this uh, was, I felt like it was, was this, almost too easy yeah, was in a way. Yeah, was this the Hal Prince production of... Yeah. Yes, wow. yes. I'm probably going to get shot. Somebody's no, going to say, how you won't dare get you? Shot. No, I appreciate your sharing this because I think, you know, I have a lot of students and a lot of people who are just getting into the business who are of, you know, color. And I, I wish they could talk to you a little bit about this because they also have some reservations, you know, coming right out of the gate and getting offered some things that perhaps they feel like you just described, like it's a little too obvious, it's a little too easy. Or, you know, also some of them expressed to me, you know, I don't want to play a slave right now. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to play a slave who doesn't have any lines, who just sings in the ensemble and is just a slave. Like that's how he is or she is um, identified and there's nothing else to play there. I think that's really, you know, I just was listening to an interview with um, Adrian Warren this morning, uh, uh, you know, the great Adrian Warren, who's up for a Tony for playing Tina, right, in, uh, in Tina Turner in Tina the Musical, uh, from Virginia, yay, Virginia. And she goes, uh, she said, you know, I, I, it's more than just about us saying that we can sing and dance as, as people of color, letting us show that but also letting us show that we are human, that we are a person. I thought that was so good, that we have a bunch of experiences to share that are beyond just look how well they sing or dance. I thought her saying that was really interesting. And you're kind of, I think you're heading in, that's kind of what you're alluding to a little bit. That's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, I I remember uh, the moment I got the phone call and I was terrified because um, who doesn't want to work with Susan Stroman, who doesn't want to have the opportunity to, and I was offered the dance captain position as oh, well. Wow. So, That's tough um, to turn you know, down. Yeah. In retrospect, I think about it and I'm like, oh God, my life could be, could be totally different right now if I had taken mm-hmm. that opportunity. But I did not want to, um, to showcase in that way uh, on stage. And I, I just felt it just wasn't, it just didn't sit in my gut as something that I wanted to do as a, as a black man in the industry at that time, which is pretty progressive, I think. Uh, yeah, that was <laughs> early on. Right. Nowadays, um, nowadays, everyone's talking that way. But back in 1990s, um, you know, you were ahead of your time. And I'm sure it wasn't easy. It sounds like it was not easy to make that decision. Um, so good for you for sticking with your guns and, and being true to yourself, right? You need to do what's what's right for you. And I think, you know... Well, you- the other side of it was... And thank you for saying that. But the other side of it was that I was also told from the, you know, from turning it down that I would never work again, that my reputation would be tainted, that who did I think I was? And um, yeah. I was made to feel as if I was um, <clears throat> professionally, uh, you know making you know that i was totally making a terrible choice and that i was i was gonna be uh you know that i was gonna be blacklisted that's what it that's what i was told right that's, that's the part thinking. that's the part that needs to change right because whether or not you choose or not to do a show that's up to you but the fact right. that there's some sort of weird strange industry pressure how dare you? You know, who do you think you are? Those things that come up. And I'm like, it's a choice. You choose how you're going to spend the next eight months or could go on for years, years of your life. I mean, I, uh, th- that needs to stop. I agree. That, that judging of actors, let actors have a little more agency about their own choices. Well, that was the moment Stephen, that, that I realized that I am, that, that was the moment when I understood my blackness in the world of, commercial New York theater. Right. The, the, what the reaction that was the moment where I went, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I see, I see what is happening here. And those are the things that are, you know, in, in the story of Sammy and me, those are the things mm-hmm. that are in the story of, of the rest of my career and the decisions that I've made and the choices that I've made um, and the professional commitments that I've made over the past 30 something 35 years mm-hmm. as an artist in this industry that have um really where i have tried to honor my myself um mm-hmm. as eric jordan young 
I mean, you know, but also as a black man in the industry and just an artist in general. Yeah, it's so fascinating because of who you are and where you were and at what time in the industry too. You know, because I've had, uh, I've interviewed now Ken Page, I've interviewed Valerie Pettiford, I've interviewed some people who've been around even longer than you have. And, you know, they, depending on where you are and at what time you're in the industry, you know, you, you were at a pivotal moment there. And then now let's talk about today. Obviously things have opened up, you know, the, the we've had a, 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 a raucous uh, year last year in 2020. Uh, so while theaters, most theaters were closed due to the pandemic, um, artists of color were starting to find more of their voice, were starting to be a little more vocal, was about how the industry itself should change. And now we're seeing that uh, people on the design side and the tech side are particularly are, are starting to to feel that too. There's a bit of a revolution going on in the theater industry while it's been sort of on pause. What do you feel, feel about what's going on right now? Do you think it's getting better? Do you think there's more opportunities now um, for people who are not white? I'll put it that way. Uh, uh, you know, what do you think? I think it's terrific that people who feel that they deserve and that deserve um, to have their voices heard and their stories heard and their purpose um, acknowledged are pushing their way into making people understand that they are um, uh, contributing to the financial equity of Mm. this institution that is Broadway and is uh, theater around the country. So, um, you know, for many, many years, people were going to see, have been going to see shows with a lot of black people in it. And, um, there's, there hasn't been this acknowledgement of, of what it takes for, I mean, you know, one of the things that was difficult and why I said I would never do ragtime again back then was because I was being called the N word on stage every night for two years. It was very, very difficult. After a while, it started to weigh me down, you know? Um, and it wasn't, had nothing to do with the show itself or the story itself. It's just that personally i was like i just can't do this anymore i'm walking out with that and taking it on the subway and it doesn't really wash off of me until 96th street so i'm you know i I think that people saying you need to acknowledge us is is divine um because there have been a lot of contributions made to this industry that um have not been acknowledged and um i think that it is a worthy um uh, moment and uh, a worthy argument and uh, I think that a lot of incredible things are going to come of it. Now, you know, growth spurts are very, very difficult and mm. um, this is a very, very difficult moment in time and a lot of people are going to be like, well, slow down, slow your roll, people. Like, why do we all have to do everything at one time? Well, I, I think there's reason behind, you know, people pushing themselves into the into the picture and it's because um people get tired of of not being acknowledged and um there's not going to be any of that anymore well and you've um, got to you've got to acknowledge the history right i mean if you sit there and go why are you doing all this now at once like well we haven't done it for the last a thousand years so let's start now (laughs) we're catching up (laughs) that's what you say you say to people we're catching up so let us. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's great, Eric. I, I, it's so great to talk to you about this uh, this particular topic, which is not an easy topic to talk about. And you are so um, eloquent and expressive and, and, and clear right on. And it comes from your years of experience having lived it. So that's wonderful. Um, so let's talk a bit now. We're almost out of time, believe it or not. It has just flown by. Um, uh, it's crazy. It's great talking to you. So it seems like you're working now mostly. You've made your home a little bit right now in, in, in for now in, in Las Vegas and in the West uh, versus the East Coast. Um, and from what I'm seeing, you're working a lot. I know you were a resident director of a show uh, in Las Vegas um, and you're a creative director for a lot of original projects too uh, in, in, in that city at Caesars Palace and, and at the Venetian, the Palazzo. Um, it, it sounds like like you're kind of enjoying, huh, and I used the word enjoy there, enjoy, <laughs> enjoying a growth, even uh, talking about growth spurts, you've got a growth spurt where you're growing even further and deeper into your 
uh, producing, directing eye. And you have a production company called Enjoy with a capital J and Y. Uh, explain, explain that company and what your goal is and your mission and what, how did that come about and, and what you're working on? Well, I named the company Enjoy because Eric Jordan Young is EJY. There you go. And, um, you know, I just thought, I, I actually used to use the word as a sign-off all the time. I, I probably still do out of habit and just because it's something that I like to say to people. Mm-hmm. And one day my mom was like, you know, you're, the, the word that you use all the time has your initials in it. And I thought, wow, well, that's going to be the pro- name of my production company. Oh, right. so, uh, <laughs> so that's where Enjoy came from, actually. Nice. Um, and yes, uh, I think th- the other thing is that the, the company really came from this uh, realization or actually me um, being cognizant enough to receive information from friends and family who said, look, this is something you've been doing all the time. You've always produced, you've always directed, you've always done choreo, and you've always been putting shows together. And even if they're not your specific unique shows or um, uh, original shows, you're still helping with the collaboration and getting that show up on its feet and putting all of the pieces together. And so I thought, well, hey, why don't I just um, use my company not to just represent myself, which it definitely does as an, as an entertainer, as an actor, singer, dancer, but also um, use that as uh, a platform for me to um, support my directing um, pursuits and my choreography choreography pursuits and so on and so forth so over the years I have um I produced uh with Enjoy Productions my my first CD which was um Once in a Lifetime and it's a collection of my favorite Sammy Davis Jr. music uh songs Mm. um things that he made famous and um and then out of that Sammy and Me the musical kind of was attached to Enjoy as well and uh and then I I created my own uh, show on this Las Vegas strip that I, a headliner show, a production, Vegas style production show with dancers and a band called Shaken that was here at um, Planet Hollywood in uh, Las Vegas. And then there were some other projects that I was approached to do. And so it kind of just started to, you know, take on its own uh, uh, tempo and started rolling. And I, did um, was the resident director of Baz, which is the um, at the um, Palazzo Venetian, which was a, a musical based on um, Baz Luhrmann stories, Baz Luhrmann movies. Oh, wow. And uh, so that's I like create- strictly ballroom and Romeo and Juliet, and what's the the big Moulin Rouge? Is that it? And Gatsby, correct? Gatsby. That's there you exactly. go. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and um, and then I, uh, you know. Um, did some other things I produced and I creative directed a show called Renegades, which was um, a sports uh, kind of presentation with um, some Hall of Famers. So uh, that was cool. And and then I just created a lot of different uh, corporate events and things like that. Uh, and, And I just loved it. I love putting shows together. I love figuring out what an audience wants and um, how we can feed them and make them uh, satiate their palate enough to walk out feeling like mm. they had a, a memorable experience and, a, and, a, and, a, and something that's going to last with them for a long time. And so Enjoy just came out of, of my pursuit to make people feel good. And, um, and it's just been a really, really great experience. And, and I continue to do it. I'm actually the, um, the director for, uh, I'm the associate director, David Rotura directed originally, but I've kind of taken the reins, Mm -hmm. um, of Footloose, uh, the musical on Norwegian Cruise Line. Mm -hmm. And then I also built, um, uh, some shows for them, original productions. I have a show that started out as called The Look of Love. It was a Burt Bacharach musical. Um, and uh, a, a show called What the World Needs Now is still running um, on Norwegian cruise line ships. So so I've just taken, you know, all of that stuff and that and put it into the, the creative world of, of Enjoy Productions and anything and everything I do is kind of represented um, by my company. 
Wow. I mean, it's so expansive, Eric. It's everything from cruise lines to Vegas to Broadway to I is fantastic. And, you know, I'm really excited to hear about enjoy and we're out of time. But I before you before we go, I do want you to be able to let people know if they want to know anything about you. Keep updated on what you're working on and what enjoy is doing and what you're doing. I assume there's a website. There might be some Instagram or Facebook or social media if they want to buy your CD. I mean, all the different places they can go to find out more about you and keep in touch with you. Uh, where can they go on social media to find you and enjoy? Well, I, I love that. Thank you so much. Um, EricJordanYoung.com is probably the best place to go. Okay. There you would be able to kind of link to my Instagram pages, which is Eric Jordan Young, um, because uh, I grabbed that the moment that Instagram started. So that's how long I've been on Instagram. Good for you. Um, and uh, and I also have a Twitter page that is the same um, Eric Jordan Young, and then uh, my my production company is Enjoy Pruds, so that's um, Productions Short. So mm-hmm. just Enjoy P R O D S dot com, mm-hmm. and you can find access to a lot of different videos um, from uh, any of those links. But mostly EricJordanYoung.com is probably the pace place to go and. And um, you can find out what I'm up to and, and how I stay busy in Las Vegas and and then uh, what I'm doing um, for Norwegian Cruise Line as well as uh, other things uh, regionally. Wonderful. I, you know, it's, I'm exhausted just hearing all the things you do. And that's good. You're busy. <laughs> You're doing a lot of good things. I know you got injured. Yeah, you were telling me. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you're on the mend slowly and getting there. And um, if you know, I hope to go to Vegas soon and maybe catch something that you've worked on. Uh, If there's anything, let me know. I'll I'll stay. I'll be sure to follow you on all the social media things and make sure I catch uh, one of your Vegas productions uh, soon because I'm planning a trip to Vegas soon. So. Excellent. I love that. That would be terrific. Absolutely. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being on American Theater Artists Online. It's been such a joy talking to you um, and so such a uh, very interesting conversation. So thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the American Theater Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.